Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And welcome back to the program, Sports Talk. Doug Miles and uh, Don Henderson coming to you uh, here on a Monday night. Good to be back with you again. And uh, today we're going to talk uh, a little horse racing, kind of vintage horse racing, if you will, as we go back in time, back to uh, 1979 and a brand-new book out all about uh, the great horse Spectacular Bid and his uh, uh Quest for the Triple Crown that year. A lot of interesting things happened in uh, that year of horse racing. And our author guest today uh, has written a book about it called The Fast Ride, Spectacular Bid, and the Undoing of a Sure Thing. And uh, Jack Gilden joined us tonight. And uh, Don, we were just talking before we went on the air about uh, you did, of course, a horse racing show for many years up in Philadelphia. But uh, this book really kind of gets into not only uh, what happened on the track, but uh, what happened behind the scenes. And it's a fascinating story. So, Don, I'll let you kind of start it. Well, Jack, I congratulate you because not many people write much about the backside. And uh, very, very interesting in the fact uh, that you're from Baltimore, uh, obviously uh, one of the three majors, and uh, you had to be involved not only in baseball, but you had to be involved in racing if you lived in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I actually was not so involved with racing, but, you know, I was born practically right in the parking lot of Pimlico uh, at Sinai Hospital and drove back and forth past it practically every day of my life going from my own home to my grandmother's and um you know yeah i mean it's kind of in your blood around here but i wasn't really particularly a racing guy when i when i started the book you learned a lot i'll tell you the uh, most people do not realize much about racing they see the sport of kings from the stands uh, they see it from the refreshment center and the bar but they don't see it from behind the scenes in the backstretch and that's a whole different picture it sure is. And I mean, I think that was one of the pleasures of writing the book is to kind of gl- give the readers a glimpse into a world that they're probably not too familiar with. And I think in a case of a lot of really good nonfiction books, that's exactly what the writers do. They kind of show you something you haven't seen before. That's why people like those mafia books and things like that. So it was really fun as a writer to glimpse into that world. Yeah, Jack, I grew up uh, about a mile away from uh, Belmont uh, in Floral Park, so I uh, you know, always kind of knew it was uh, you know, racing season, obviously, just that being that close to it. Of course, Triple Crown uh, and Belmont Stakes Day, the traffic would just go past our house, so we always kind of had a, a, an interest in it uh, from, from that aspect. And I remember very well 1979, of course, uh, the Triple Crown years before that in seven. 77 and uh, 78, and going back to the Secretariat, I kind of followed it since then. But uh, 79 was kind of a, an unusual year in a sense. Uh, this horse spectacular bid kind of uh, came up uh, a sire of Secretariat, right? Wasn't he one of his offspring? No, no, he was not one of his He offspring. wasn't, okay. Maybe I got that wrong then. I thought no. he was an offspring. They, okay. were, well, they, they were kind of loosely um, loosely related to each other. They were from the same family, but... but uh, he was not. In fact, he raced against one of uh, Secretariat's sons in the Triple Crown, a General Assembly. Right. But he himself 
was this, uh, you know, from bold, bitter blood. Jack, what turned you on to the story to begin with? Because it uh, is a very unusual story of winning after losing. So give us a little thumbnail sketch of what got you into it right from the beginning. Well, uh, I had an old friend who one day got up early in the morning and he heard me doing publicity for my book about Johnny Unitas and Don Shula. That came out in 2018. And so he, uh, he heard it. We hadn't seen each other in, in decades, but we were good friends way back when. And he called me up and he said, uh, do, do you uh, remember Ronnie Franklin, the jockey? And I said, sure. And he said, well, he said, um, he's about to die. He's at a hospice. And uh, he said, uh, I employed him uh, as a horse trainer for a while. I know him really well. We're very good friends. And I was hoping maybe you'd consider writing something about him. So he kind of brought me into it. And, you know, I wasn't very interested, but he brought me up. I interviewed him. I still wasn't too interested. And then, uh, you know, I finally uh, started to get the idea that there was a very big story here. Doug? Yeah, two main characters, like you said, uh, real life people, obviously, but the two main uh, people in the book are uh, Jackie Ron Franklin and uh, trainer Bud Delp. I kind of remember just watching the coverage that whole summer and spring and summer about that. And Bud Delp really, uh, I guess all trainers are characters in a sense, but he seemed to kind of go beyond being a character. Uh, not, not, not the most likable guy, at least, uh, you know, I remember just watching him on TV. He seemed kind of arrogant and, and reading your book. Uh, uh, I guess other people had that opinion too, right? <laughs> Well, a lot of people had that opinion of him. And there was a third main character in the story, and that was Bud's son, right. Gerald Delp. He was, he was Buddy's son, and he was Ronnie's best friend, and he became, uh, you know, a very important person to me as well as I wrote the book. He had the most inside glimpses of the things that happened. The book couldn't have been written with, without Gerald, but he was a little bit younger than Ronnie. They were both teenagers living with Buddy Delp. And uh, as you know, and as we'll get into, Ronnie became an addict, uh, a cocaine addict in that situation. And so did Gerald right alongside of him. And it was very sad. I mean, they were both, you know, both probably in their mid-teens or or even early teens when they first tried cocaine and they became addicted before the age of 20. Well, that's one of the things about the backstretch that uh, they say people will get to see. You'll read a little bit about the horses that being a doctor and one of the Great traders of all time is banned in Kentucky and uh, can't be uh, can't be participating in the Kentucky Derby or any of the races for a couple of years. But uh, drugs on the backstretch, and uh, let me qualify that by saying you have a very young, very Latin American dominated backstretch, and drugs are a little bit more familiar to them from an early age up, and uh, it's very very prevalent. Uh, all over the tracks in the back, and you have to really be careful uh, about what you do uh, at the racetrack and how you go about it because uh, they they don't really think that it's a criminal offense. Well, yeah, they don't think so, but it may not be in their minds a criminal offense, but it's a very dangerous game to play. And in the case of Franklin, he was a, a young, innocent guy, really. He came from a very, uh, how would I put it, kind of like a sheltered, environment you know he was right. kind of a street tough but he was just really like the baby of a large family and his mother really doted on him and his father cared a great deal for him and you know they really took care of him because he was so small you know and and uh 
And, uh, you know, he walked into a world of corruption there and, and uh, it destroyed him. I mean, he had his greatest days and his, and his downfall all before he turned 20 years old. I think people that, uh, that get this book, and I hope they do, uh, are going to be even more maybe shocked is, is, is the right word in this. I was a little surprised. I knew, you know, a bit of a shady character that Delp was, but I didn't realize until I read your book. Uh, you mentioned, you know, we're just talking about the drug situation, but uh, the trainer of Delp himself was, uh, you know, in, imbibing in that as well and, and uh, didn't seem any problem that his, uh, you know, son and Jackie were doing it. At least he knew it was going on. So uh, tough situation. Well, there were a lot. A lot of things going on there. I mean, in addition to uh, using drugs and getting the boys into the drugs, I mean, a lot of money was disappearing, and uh, the, the uh, animals were being doped, and right. the animals were also being shocked with, like, electrical cattle prods yeah. and things of that nature. I mean, there were just many, many, you know, things going on that were really, I don't know, I guess horrifying to, to see, it. horrifying and sad. Well, Jacksonian people have written in recent years about exactly what you're referring to, and uh, not only the danger of uh, racing itself, but the the problems they have with the horses. I mean, they they just uh, uh, it's a very, very difficult, very tenuous situation to keep these horses healthy, and yet at the same time take them to the outer limits of what they can do, and it's not that easy. Well, you know, people don't realize, I mean, on the one hand, they are so incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful, and yet they're surprisingly delicate instruments. I mean, they really are easily injured, and, you know, they have a lot of problems. They're very they skittish, what they, right? Aren't they real skittish animals? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they can be skittish, not all of them, but they can be skittish, and they, they can have a number of problems, and... uh you know, the drugs have been a big part of the scene. I mean, in my research, I was able to find, you know, like doping issues and so forth, like going all the way back to the 1930s, maybe before. Hmm. So it's, it's a longstanding problem. And, uh, you know, there was all kinds of doping issues with the animals and cruelty to them. And, you know, but I have to say this, you know, not everything is just black and white. There was a lot even redeemable about Buddy Delp, although I guess he's kind of the villain of the story. He was also a magnificent trainer. And in his own way, he loved his family. And, you know, and even Ronnie Franklin, he did a lot of nice things for Ronnie Franklin. But he also had this horrendous side to him, which we showed. The same way, racing is kind of similar to that in the sense that a lot of horrible things happen in racing. But racing isn't inherently evil. There's a lot of great things about horse racing. It's a gorgeous sport. Beautiful. And it's uh, really thrilling. There's there's no um, there's no aesthetic beauty like a race like a race uh, a horse race rather. There's nothing there's nothing like it. But it's you know I mean people can take any kind of structure and either use it for great things or they can you know corrupt it. And you know racing has seen both sides of it. Jack, tell a little bit for all the people that are listening right now uh, across the country. Uh, a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of the horse itself, because the horse is really the story. Yeah. Well, the horse was, I mean, people don't believe me when I say this. They think it's like hyperbole. But the horse was, was better than Secretariat. And you could, you know, there are a number of ways that you could make that case. I mean, he was uh, bro- broke a lot of Secretariat speed records. He set a world record. And uh, he went on a tear of 
I think it was 12 straight stakes victories, which no horse had done since around the World War II era. He, um, set, uh, I, I think I said already, set the world record. Um, I mean, he was just a magnificent horse. His After he had the, the stakes race uh, streak snapped, um, later on in his, in his four-year-old year, he went on a, a nine uh, nine stakes race winning streak. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, and in all that time he was, uh, it, what was that? The handicap races, you know, as the older horses do, it was carrying weight and tremendous amounts of it. Very unusual for a horse that was headed for stud like he was. So he was an incredible horse. I mean, I think Willie Shoemaker who rode him after Ronnie Franklin, he, you know, what was his career, like 40 years or, you know, it was some gigantic number of years that he rode. He was on many, many historic horses, and he said Spectacular Bid was the best horse he ever rode. Mm. Yeah, part of the, 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 oh. the drama of the story, like you just mentioned, not only the, the drug situation, but Ron Franklin, the jockey, and uh, just getting the mount uh, was kind of controversial among the other jockeys. I know uh, Jorge Velasquez, Angel Cadero, a couple other great jockeys of the time, and other jockeys were kind of saying, hey, who is this guy being put on this great horse, or at least developing as a great horse? And there was a lot of tough times for Ron Franklin to deal with that, right? Well, there was a lot of classism and racism intertwined in that, in all of that. I mean, Ronnie, you know, was not only young, but Stevie Cawthon was, you know, essentially sure. the same age here before and won the Triple Crown on a firm. But Ronnie was a different story. He didn't come from racing stock. His father was a forklift driver at a uh, really tough neighborhood of Baltimore called Dundalk, where the steel and other manufacturing plants were. And uh, and Ronnie came out of that environment. He never saw a horse in his life till he was about 15 and came to Pimlico to be a hot walker. And he was a high school dropout, and he had a number of things going against him. And there was just a lot of a lot of resentment aimed his way. So he, you know, and and they were always saying all along that he didn't have what it took to be a you know a jockey on a horse like that. Well, it might have been true about that particular horse. But in general, he was actually, what I found was that he was a very fine young jockey. Jack, let me ask you this, because you said at the top, I can't remember whether it was before we went on the air or afterward, that uh, you were never really a horse aficionado. You were not one that wanted to sit back and watch the races from the time you were a young fella until uh, you got into, to, into the book. Uh, how about now? Are you more inclined to go to Pimlico or go to go to the races or... Or you still uh, sort of uh, say, well, it was a great story, but it's not something that I would really be involved with. No, I, I love it now. Now, uh, but I have to qualify it by saying I'm not really into the gambling and, and all of that. And uh, But I love racing. I love the animals. I, I love the trainers. When I was working on this book, one of my friends is a really very fine author, John Eisenberg. He also lives in Baltimore. And he said to me, he's written, I think, maybe two two books about horse racing before I did. And he said, the greatest stories in sports come from the track, <laughs> you know, and boy, was ever, he was so right about it. The characters, the situations. I mean, it's just unbelievable how incredibly rich the, uh, the racing world is for storytelling. 
Well, let's go back again to 1979 and just kind of recap quickly, uh, of course, the, the racing season, the spring season, Triple Crown with Spectacular Bit, of course, winning the Derby and the Preakness and then going into the Belmont at, I guess, the lowest odds, uh, if not ever, than one of the lowest odds, I think it was one to nine, right? Yeah. I mean, it uh, had incredibly low odds. And, uh, you know, if you bet on them, you, you would barely make a, a nickel Make about back. 20 cents on $2, right? <laughs> if that. Yeah, or, or less. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was uh, he was an incredibly uh, good horse, and which was recognized at the time. But what, what was happening was is that the kid was practically having a nervous breakdown right in front of the eyes of everybody, and nobody really seemed to notice it. I mean, he, in addition to the drug problems, uh, he'd recently had a girl give birth to a to his child, and he had, um, uh, you know, he was losing all his money faster than he was making it. It was being lost not only to the cocaine that he was paying for himself and the entire house, but he was also losing it in droves and poker pots and and uh, and fake bets and things like this. You know, there were all kinds of things going on with his money. He'd kind of been goaded into a uh, into a rivalry with uh, Angel Cordero, and Delp had kind of goaded him into it, and Cordero had, had definitely goaded him into it. And uh, it became kind of ugly and racial. Franklin called Cordero a very ugly, uh, you know, epithet for for a Spanish person. And uh, and all the rest of the Spanish riders, Hispanic riders, took umbrage as they should have. And, uh, you know, so this little kid, basically, this 19-year-old boy, he ends up with this gigantic target on his back in addition to all the other problems he had. And then he and Cordero, they're plowing horses into each other and fist fighting in the, uh, in the locker rooms. I mean, it was an awful lot for a 19-year-old to, to deal with. Well, I think an awful lot of people are going to get a lot of joy out of reading the book, and uh, I'll let Doug wind it up here, and, and I'll tell you, it's been uh, a lot of fun chatting with you. Uh, I learned a little bit on the side at the same time, and uh, best of luck with the book. I hope you can really run it right through, this, right through the table. Well, thank you very much. I, it was a real pleasure to write it, and I really poured my guts into it. I mean, I did nothing else for four years but research and write it. And again, we won't give it away, obviious for people that may not have remembered it or weren't born yet, but uh, you can watch the race on YouTube. I watched it uh, recently after I read the book just to kind of remind myself. And again, we said the horse went off at one to nine odds and uh, uh, unexpected things happened. And uh, there was something before that happened in the in the back uh, in the back stretch. Uh, uh, the horse stepped on a pin. That's a whole great storyline you have right there. We won't get into it now, but uh, all the that and then the aftermath of that. So there's a lot of drama in this book. It's a, it's a great book. Yeah, it's an extremely dramatic story with, with many twists and turns to it. If you, if you like racing, but even if you don't, it's really a story that will grab your attention, I think. Let me give the, full, ti- let me give the full title once again, The Fast Ride, Spectacular Bid, and the Undoing of a Sure Thing, and published by the University of Nebraska Press. And uh, Jack Gilden, do you have a website you want to direct people to, or just go any of the book sites yeah, have it? They can feel free to look me up on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, if they want to write to me, they can feel free to do it. I'll get back to you if you write to me with any questions. And um, But no website, just just social media. And we'll put a link as well for uh, people who want to get uh, more information on the book. But, Jack Gilden, pleasure talking to you. And, uh, Don, you want to finish it up? Well, no, just the uh, same thing. I, I thought it was uh, very, very interesting and, and uh, learned a little bit on the, at the same time. 
Uh, it's obvious that you spent a lot of time, four years, putting this thing together. And uh, there's been a couple of uh, great books recently on, uh, on horse racing. And I hope that yours is as successful as some of the others because uh, uh, all of a sudden horse racing has sort of come back in favor again after a long term of being in the background. You know, it's a great sport. And it's, you know, but it's it's an interesting one. It's got its ups and downs. So I have to say, I really love meeting you two guys, and I appreciate appreciate you inviting me on your program. Great. Thanks, Jack. We'll talk Thank to you soon. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.